Well, let's uh, pray and we'll ask God's blessing on the word. Father, as we turn to the scriptures tonight, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through them and minister to our needs as we look to you for the, for the word itself and also for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, the comforter, the one who inspired this book, Lord, to come and minister to us through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you see it up there, it says various scriptures. So please would you turn with me uh, to 2 Peter and chapter 1 for our first scripture tonight. I'm sorry to uh, make your fingers do the walking so much, but... That's, that's going to be a little bit like that, I'm afraid, this evening. Two Peter chapter one, and we'll start reading at verse ten. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Please keep your Bibles open. Some years ago, there was a missionary uh, to Mexico called Ruby Scott. And she was a, a missionary to the Tiller tribe in Mexico, who up to that point hadn't been reached with the gospel and had no Bible. And as well as taking the message of the Lord Jesus to them, she was translating a Bible for them from their language uh, and writing it out which is a, a remarkable thing for anybody to be able to do. And she was being helped by a native who had become a Christian, a, a Tiller Christian, a man by the name of Aureliano. And what they did have was a big stack of notebooks. I don't know if you're like me, but I've got notebooks galore in my office. And she has a big stack of notebooks, which was basically the Bible. Before it had gone to print, it was all written out in hand in these notebooks. And she was getting Aureliano to read it out to her so that she could check audibly for mistakes and she could uh, make anything uh, right that she picked up in the reading that was wrong. And as he was reading through notebook after notebook and, and reading out the scriptures in Tiller, in Tiller to her, at one point he paused and seemed overcome by emotion. He said, Ruby, I am the first Tiller to have this book in my hand. I feel like a king on the throne as I sit here day after day reading God's word. And Ruby was really impacted by that. And that night she went to bed and she lay awake thinking about those words and the impact that the scriptures had had on her colleague Aureliano. And she thought, have I become so used to this beautiful message 
that it no longer has a wonder to it to me have i honored have i known this so long that the marvel of this book has slipped away well that's a challenge for all of us isn't it uh, when we're growing up listening to the bible and feeding on the bible for many years sometimes the things of god can become a little bit complacent to us things that we've we've grown used to where they don't seem to shine quite so brightly as they once did and i can't help thinking that sometimes that can be true with respect to the hope of the rapture uh, because you know in our minds we have a temptation that we to file it away for the future and say well i'll worry about that when the time comes that's not for me to worry about now that's that we'll deal with that when we get there instead of being filled with wonder and awe at what God is going to do. Well, tonight I want to try and tackle that uh, by talking to you about the wonders of the rapture so that it becomes fresh and exciting to us again, I hope. You know, it was said of the musician Rubenstein that when he was in his 80s, one of the uh, music uh, commentators and critics said his music got younger, not older. That's a lovely thing, isn't it? He said, it's, he said his music got younger as if he was playing everything for the first time. And that's how it should be with us too, with the hope of the Lord's return and the coming of the Lord Jesus. It should be more and more exciting uh, as time goes along. Now, some people may think to yourself, well, okay, John, I hear what you're about tonight, but... You're using a word I don't really understand. What do you mean by the rapture? And for anybody who's not familiar with that term, I'd just like to explain. The rapture of the church is when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and take his church to be with him. Uh, This is something that he promised he would do in John chapter 14. He said, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And that's been the hope of the church for centuries. In fact, here's an interesting thing. A few uh, years ago, they found a very old Roman church up at Colchester, dating back to about 300 AD. And they could tell when Christianity came to Colchester from this remains, because up until that point, all the graves had been scattered in a random fashion. But when Christianity came... All the graves were pointing eastward. Can you think why? The Bible says he's coming from the east, like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west. They were looking and waiting uh, right up to the end for the Lord's coming. You know, I was speaking to Paul Mallard, the uh, former pastor down at Whitcomb one occasion, and he told me about this time when he was visiting uh, uh, an elderly gentleman from his church in hospital. I don't think it was in this church. I think it was in another town. And he said this dear old man who was in hospital, he was very, very sick, and uh, he went to see him, and he said, Paul, thank you for coming to see me. He said, uh, uh, I don't want you to be discouraged about my condition. He said, you must remember, he said, I still may not die. The Lord may come. (laughs) And wonderful, right to the end of his life, he was looking for the coming of the Lord. 
And that's how we should be. The Bible tells us to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Now, if that's not something that can happen in our lifetime, why would the Bible tell us to be looking for it? It says, be looking for this. And uh, Paul said the same to the Thessalonians. They were looking for Christ who was to come. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about when the Lord Jesus comes for his church to take us home. It's not the same as the second coming, but it is linked to the second coming. The second coming is when the Lord Jesus comes to earth. But the, se- but the rapture is when he's coming in the air. The, when he comes for the church, he's coming in the air. Uh, and then at the second coming, he's coming with the church back to the earth where he will reign. The first time, it could well be in a time of peace. It looks like that from 1 Thessalonians 5, when people are saying peace and safety. Um, then he will come. But at the second coming, he's definitely coming to a war. He's coming to the battle of Armageddon. Uh, and whereas the, the rapture is an unknown event, nobody knows the day or the hour when the Lord will come. It's an untimed event. The, the, the second coming will be known. It will be known. From the midpoint of the tribulation will be 1,260 days, as the book of Revelation says. And it will be at the end of the seven years uh, of tribulation that are forecast in, in the Bible. So even the Antichrist will know he is coming. So it's a different event to the second coming, but it is closely linked. And Christ is coming for his church. So I want us to have the wonder of this before us tonight. You know, Peter said here that we need to have the prophetic word like a light shining in the dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star is that last star in the sky you can still see when the night is fading out and day is coming. And it means day is almost here. And it's a little ray of hope, isn't it? And he says, that's what I want this to be to you. Like a, in your heart, the morning star, the hope is it keeps you going in the time that we're living in. And I see tonight four things that are wonders of the rapture. The precise moment, the physical miracle, and the personal meeting, and the pure mercy of it. And those four things I want to take you through tonight. So first of all, let's look then at the precise moment. I would like to turn with me to the book of songs, the Song of Solomon. Now, that may not be where you were expecting to go tonight for a sermon on the rapture. uh, But uh, I do believe the Song of Solomon, which is uh, a story uh, written by Solomon, King Solomon, who was the king of Israel, as he calls himself in this book. It's a love story. It's, we believe it's a true love story based on his first and true love, his, uh, the wife, who's called here the Shulamite. And it's about how they fell in love. He fell in love with a country girl who was a farm girl looking after the vineyards. And she had some cruel brothers who were stepbrothers to her, made them look after their vineyards instead of caring for her own one. And uh, Solomon fell in love with her and he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. And he told her he was going to come back in springtime and he was going to come back and make her his bride. And she was waiting for his coming. Well, this is a picture, I believe, of Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 5. And so the book of Song of Songs is a a parable, really, the romance of the rapture as she's waiting for him to come. 
And what we see in chapter 2 and verse 8 is that moment when he comes. And I'm reading the New King James and it's her speaking and she says, the voice of my beloved. Now what you can't get in the English there is the gasp. Okay, (laughs) there's no no way of translating that, but it's that (gasps) moment. It's his voice. She's been waiting for him. She didn't know when he was coming, but suddenly she hears the voice of her beloved. And she said, the voice of my beloved. He's coming. Behold, he comes, which is a phrase that's used in Jude 14 and Revelation 1-7 of the coming of the Lord. And uh, it's uh, the oldest prophetic statement in the Bible because it was the message that Enoch gave. Behold, the Lord comes with thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Anyway, but she says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. And then she describes him, how quickly he's coming, leaping upon the mountains, skipping over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. He's come right to her. My beloved spoke and said to me, look at these words, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give us good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And this, to me, in picture form, captures the particular moment of the Lord coming for his church. And, you know, it's going to be a gasp moment when suddenly we hear the voice of the Lord. You know, the Bible says he's coming with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the voice of God. And what do you think he's going to say? What do you think he says when you hear the voice of the Lord? He says... Rise up, come up and meet me. The very words here. Rise up, my love, and come away. We're going back to heaven, to the place I've prepared for you. And what an amazing moment that particular moment is going to be. It's going to be exhilarating. You know, like it says here, the, the, the spring is past, you know, the fig tree's budding. That sounds like Matthew 24, doesn't it? You know, when you see these things coming to pass and the, the, the leaves are on the fig tree, you know, spring is nearly here. Uh, it's all the signs are there and the anticipation is growing. Uh, well, this is what it will be like. And, and, I, and I think it's going to be an amazing moment. I think I read, I get this every time I read John's gospel and I read about the disciples after the resurrection in the last chapter of John when they, they go back to their fishing boats and they're fishing all night and they catch nothing and there's a stranger on the shore. And the man on the shore calls out, my children, have you caught anything? And uh, they say, no, they haven't. He says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they do. And of course, it's full of fish. And John looks at Peter and he said, it's the Lord. That sends shivers down my spine every time. It's the Lord. And you know what? It's that type of moment that is going to be when... One day, and it's going to happen to a generation of believers, it could happen to us. 
there will be that voice and we will hear it. And, you know, the moment that we've been waiting for all these years, it will be like all our Christmases, all our birthdays, all at once. It'll all come uh, rushing in on us. And it'll be like, it's here. It's now. He's come for us. Wow. What a moment that moment is going to be. It's going to be like nothing else. I think the only thing I could say that perhaps is another comparison must be like with John on the island of Patmos when he heard a voice behind him. And he said, John, I want you to write this down. And he must have thought, I know that voice. Haven't heard that voice. Haven't heard that voice in about 36 years, 66 years. Because it was about 96 AD. And uh, Jesus died in about 33 AD, so what's that, 63 years. I haven't heard, but I know that voice. And he knew it was the Lord. What a moment, what a moment. And that's something we've got ahead of us to look forward to. Think about that, what is it going to be like? You know, it's good to think about what it's going to be like when the Lord comes. I expect you've seen the Left Behind books that were written by Tim LaHaye. We've got some of them in the, in the side room in the chapel here. Uh, not everybody likes them, but I love them. I think they're great. And one of the things I love about them is I've seen so many people read that book and then immediately they get into this book. And that, to me, is the greatest testimony of Christian literature. You know, if it drives you to this book, then that's the best testimony to it. And I've seen so many, especially in our first church, uh, that was the case. And the Left Behind books uh, were about what happens when the Lord comes for his church and what happens in prophecy afterwards. And uh, the story is, starts off with the rapture and, it, and it's taken from the perspective of a pilot on the plane and the pilot who's not a Christian but his wife is and they're on the plane and, and some people on the plane have been taken. And he said that, uh, Tim LaHaye said that what happened was that this had been uh, in a conversation with a friend of theirs, a friend of the family called Shirley. And she'd said, you know, like, you know, what a mad, all these places when the rapture happens, you know, like when you're on a plane, you know, you, there's nowhere to go on a plane. You can't say, oh, he's just wandered off somewhere. You know, that person, they were there and now they're not there. And, you know, there's no other explanation. Where have they gone? You know, this is, this is the thing. And he said, a few days later, after this discussion, he said, I was flying across the country to a prophecy conference, and then I thought about the story Shirley had mentioned. And I thought, what if the rapture took place right now? What if it took place right now? And that gave boom, the whole story into his mind. And you know what? It's good for us to think that, isn't it? We're waiting for that precious moment. What if it happened right now let's live in light of that moment you know that john says he who has this hope in him purifies himself uh, just as he is pure it's a purifying fact and this is how uh, this the rapture has a purifying effect on the church helping us with our sanctification we want to be found in the right place doing the right thing uh, when the lord comes but even so the excitement of that particular moment what, a, what an adrenaline rush that is. I hope that will thrill you thinking about that. We can go home now. Uh, but second thing I want to talk to you about is the physical miracle. 
and uh, the physical miracle, perhaps I should say miracles. And we'd like, I'd like you to look at Philippians chapter 3 just a moment, please. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Now, in Philippians, Paul is writing to the first church in Europe, the church at Philippi, which he planted in Acts chapter 16, uh, uh, the missionary journey there. And you remember Lydia was converted and the Philippian jailer and so on. And uh, that church became very important. And so Paul wrote this letter to protect the church from the dangers that could damage the church, including false teaching, which is the subject of chapter 3. And he's been talking about those who are not only false teachers in terms of having a false righteousness, those who go into Judaism to try and earn their way to heaven. But then at the end, he talks about those who go to the other way and they have what, not only what we call legalism, but there's those who have licentiousness and they live for the body and the fleshly things of the world instead. And Paul says, we, we're, we're of a different mindset to that because that's a worldly thinking. And then in contrast, he says this in verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's attitude. And that's what he says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And he's talking there about how the Lord's going to come and what he's going to do is he's going to catch us up and he is going to transform us. Now there's two miracles here physically happening at the same time. You've got the miracle of transformation in our bodies and the miracle of transportation as we're caught up to him. And they're going to happen simultaneously and at the same time. They are, <laughs> sorry, it's going to be a joke. Uh, they, they, there is, uh, there are two things that are joined together. They are Siamese twins, these miracles. Uh, as the church is raised, she is going to be changed. It's, uh, it's a, a double miracle of physical things. Let's think about the transformation. Paul says there that he is going to conform our body to his glorious body. You know, when Jesus came out of the grave, he had a different body. Well, it was the same body, the same body that was buried, but it had resurrection power. And it was displaying itself in ways that hadn't been seen before. He was able to pass through walls. He was able to, uh, to appear and disappear uh, in different ways. And it was a physically able body in full health. Uh, but at the same time, it was a real body that was able to eat food. And it wasn't a ghost. And he, he said that, feel me. He said, I, I'm not, I'm, I have flesh and blood. I'm not, uh, I have flesh, I'm not uh, a ghost. So he does say that he's, uh, he, he's a, a literal 
body at that time. And this is what Paul says. Our body is going to be conformed to his glorious body. It will be made like the Lord Jesus. Now, Brian was saying this morning on the door to uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, when the rapture happens, I'm going to be taller and bigger and stronger. Well, you know what? That may be true. Some people do believe very much when it says we're conformed to the, the body of Christ, that we are going to have a body that is physically that of a 33-year-old person. And to the proportions of Jesus, it doesn't mean we'll all look like Jesus, but we're all going to be conformed. But I, I wouldn't push it that way because I don't think that's the case. But I do think what it means is that there will be a confirmation to his glory in the resurrection form of the body. And this is something that Paul also spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it isn't just for the dead who are raised, it's also for the living. Let's have a look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, this isn't just going to happen to those who've died and and are raised, but those who are alive when the Lord comes. And then he describes it, he says in verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You remember the the passage we looked at this morning spoke about the trump of God. And Paul says that's when this is going to happen. And he says we're going to be changed as well in the twinkling of an eye. We shall all be changed. And it's going to be a transformation of our bodies. Now that is a beautiful thing to think about, isn't it? Uh, uh, I often think to myself about when it happens, I hope I am looking in a mirror. Because I'd love to see it happen, see the change happen, or to be standing near someone else who's a Christian, to see it as well as feel it happening to me. Because I think it's going to be an amazing transformation. And to see people who struggle in their health suddenly be liberated. I love the C.S. Lewis stories, the Narnia stories. And in the last battle, the final story, there's a, uh, the description of the children going back into Narnia for the last time and how they left this world to go to Narnia and then from there they're going to go to Aslan's world. But they also go back in. I don't know if you've read all the stories, but there's a very, there's a young boy at the beginning who's where the whole story starts called Diggory. And Diggory becomes the old man who owns the wardrobe, which the children go through later on. Well, Diggory and Polly, the the first children who go into Narnia way back in the first book, The Magician's Nephew, they're also there as they've all gone in to Narnia. And they're describing their sudden entrance into Narnia. And Edmund said this, he said, I felt not so much scared as, well, excited. Oh, and this one queer thing, I had a rather sore knee from a hack at rugby. I noticed it had suddenly gone and I felt very light and then here we are. It was much the same for us in the railway carriage, said Lord Diggory, wiping the last traces of the fruit from his golden beard. Only I think you and I, Polly, chiefly felt that we'd been unstiffened. 
You youngsters won't understand, but we stopped feeling old. Youngsters indeed, said Jill. I don't believe you two are really much older than we are here. Well, if we aren't, we have been, said Lady Polly. I love that. It's beautiful, isn't it? How that moment where the unstiffened release from all that pain. What a moment that's going to be when that transformation comes. What a joy to see it in others. And it's going to happen not by a process, you know, a little bit every day if you keep taking this medicine. It's going to happen in a crisis, a bang moment. Suddenly it'll be gone in the twinkling of an eye. The Greek word there is the word for an atom, the fast, smallest moving, smallest thing known in the splitting of an atom so fast uh, you cannot cannot really measure it. That's how quick it will happen. What a transformation. But at the same time, there'll be transportation as we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I believe this will happen very quickly as well. You know, we, uh, we live along the North Road and opposite the North Road, there is the remains of what used to be a bank. It's not a bank now. They tried to make it into a, a fast food shop, but the, the business failed. But a few years ago, I don't know if it was before lockdown, one night uh, we were woken uh, by the sound of motorbikes. You know, like, I don't mean like Harley Davidson, that type of motorbike. I mean like high speed, like the racing motorbikes, the Japanese fast, lightweight things. And there were two high speed motorbikes that had turned themselves on and they were revving themselves up to fever pitch really loud. And uh, it seemed like they hadn't long got started when suddenly there was a... And, and then we heard... And it was all over. And you know what happened? They'd done a bank job. They'd, the, what you heard on the motorbikes was the getaway drivers... What there was happening with the explosion was they had gas and they blew the safe up to get the money out. They jumped on the bikes and they were gone. The police came around and said, did you see anything? <laughs> well, for a start, I was in bed. But honestly, if, you, if the speed them bikes went, you wouldn't have seen anything. They were gone. They were gone. And that's how quickly a thief wants to get away, isn't it? You know, the Bible says Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. He's coming to take his treasure and he's coming to take us home. And it'll be a split second snatch when Christ comes. You know, I don't know about you, this, this, this is maybe a boy thing, okay? I'm sure Dave Beezer will get this, but cars and boy things, you know, we have a thing about speed. We want to think, try pushing things as fast as they can. I know this is hard to believe in my driving, but uh, you do love speed when you're a boy. The thought of the fact that we're going to rise up and meet the Lord and we're going to go through the speed of sound. We're going to go faster than the speed of sound. We're going to go faster than the speed of light because it's going to be like, bam, we're gone. It's going to be amazing. What a a miracle of transportation that is. I heard about a guy who went to the airport to to book a a flight on a plane and uh, he, uh, he... 
he asked what time the plane left, and they said it leaves at 3.20, and it was going to, I can't remember, somewhere in Russia on the other side of the world, and she said, what time does it get there? He said it gets there about, she said it gets there about 2 in the after, two o'clock. And she said, would you like a ticket? He said, no, but I'd so, sure like to see it take off. <laughs> now, the point was he hadn't taken into consideration the amount of time, the time change and everything else. But he got a picture of speed. That's what it's going to be like when the Lord comes. What a physical miracle that is going to be. And I want you to take hope in the power of God tonight to do that which the doctors cannot do. And nobody else can do, he is going to do when he comes. It's a real encouragement to think about these glorious things that the Lord's going to do. Third thing I want you to see is, is the physical, oh, it gets right, sorry, I'm getting used to a new pointer. The personal meeting, the personal meeting. And uh, what have I got there? 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's go back to that passage we looked at this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, as we were explaining this morning, this is the, this is the, the personal meeting that will take place at the rapture. And actually, it should better be described the personal meetings because there's going to be a number of wonderful meetings for us when this great event happens. First of all, we're going to meet the Lord himself. You know, that's the big one, isn't it? Uh, as he says there, we will join them together, the dead in Christ who rise first, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That is going to be the highlight of everything. Uh, what a moment that is going to be. Uh, I like reading Genesis, and I'm reading Genesis in my Bible times at the moment, and read past the uh, passage where Isaac gets a bride, uh, Rebecca, and the servant goes to get the bride from the house of Laban and brings it back. And as she's on the camels coming back, and Isaac's out in the field meditating, uh, she spies him and she says to the servant, who's that man in the field? And he says, that's my servant. And it says she puts her veil over herself and she gets down off the camel as he's walking towards her. There's a beautiful moment there where it's like, wow, who's that? You know, and it's a true love story, isn't it? Isaac and Rebecca, beautiful. Well, that's a little picture of the bride of Christ meeting the saviour. And when we see him, it will be the greatest of all 
the things. Uh, to meet the Lord himself will be the greatest thing. The hymn writer said this, face to face with Christ my saviour. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. It's going to be an amazing moment, isn't it? When we see the Lord himself, who died on the cross for our sins, and we take in who he is in all his glory. And this is something I think we will not be able to uh, take in in a hurry, I think it'll be an eternal thing that we will never lose the wonder and the glory of. I heard of a, a man by the name of Arnold Olson, who was speaking at the Moody Bible Institute. And Arnold Olson uh, was uh, uh, traveling with another man who was a minister. I think they were traveling from Michigan. And uh, they were sharing a room together. And the older man was an experienced minister. And they were having wonderful fellowship. Anyway, one morning, uh, they were uh, getting ready for the day. And the older minister was in, in in the bathroom shaving. And he called out. He said, Brother Olson, he said, you won't be angry with me, will you, if I don't notice you when we get to heaven? And Olson said, no, no, not at all. And the old man paused and he said, well, he said, I've been thinking. He said, I figure I'll be so busy looking at Jesus for the first few thousand years that I won't have any time for you. (laughs) I just think that's probably more true than any of us ever imagined. You know, Wesley talked, didn't he? Gaze we on those glorious scars. You know, the first time you and I see those nail prints. And we realize that wasn't just for the world, that was for me. He died there for me. This is the one who died for me. Uh, We see him in his glory. What an amazing thing. And this is what the rapture is about. We're not waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for someone to come. We're waiting for him. And this is what the, the true saint of God wants. Paul says in Philippians 1.23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So what a, what a personal meeting that is going to be with our Savior. We know him, we pray to him, he walks with me and he talks with me a long life's narrow way, but we're going to actually see him. And as Peter says in his letter, though you do not see him, now you love him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy as you're trusting in him and waiting for his revelation. That's going to be a great wonder, isn't it? Seeing the Lord himself. But it's going to be the other great wonder of our loved ones and seeing our loved ones. In verse 17 there, it says, doesn't it, about how we will be caught up together with them in the air. And our loved ones who've fallen asleep in Christ, who've died in Christ, we're going to see them again. You know, I mentioned Tim LaHaye earlier on. You know how Tim LaHaye got into the left behind, how he got into Bible prophecy? His dad died when he was a little boy. And he had to go to his father's funeral. You know, it's a hard thing, isn't it? And he said he always remembered the minister who, at the funeral, he came down from the pulpit and he stood by the coffin and he said, I just want you all to know the world has not seen the end of Frank LaHaye. 
and he preached on the Lord's return. Tim said, that's what gave me hope. That's what gave me hope. That's why he loved Bible prophecy, you know, because of the message and what it meant for him. His loved one was going to be raised. And, you know, this is the beautiful thing, isn't it, for the second coming of our Saviour for his church, the rapture uh, of the saints. We say good night on this world. We say good morning in the air when we see them again. And what a reunion that is going to be with those who've gone before us. And uh, I know that's a tender point for some of us at this time, but I pray it'll bring comfort. But also we're going to meet the angels. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, it'll be, for most of us, the first time we have ever seen an angel in our lives, especially in its full angelic glory. And yet the Bible tells us here that it's the voice of the archangel that's going to be heard at the rapture, and the angels are going to be present. I believe they're going to be there to hold back the forces of Satan as much as anything else. Because remember, the air is the domain of Satan, according to Ephesians chapter 2. He's the prince of the power of the air. And the angelic forces, Michael, the archangel, who throws Satan out of heaven in Revelation 12 and others, they're going to be present there. But we're going to see those angels. We're going to see our guardian angels. You know, those angels that guarded us when we were children. As Jesus said, every child has an angel. I can't help wondering if some of those angels are going to have a few words with us. You gave me a hard time. You know? <laughs> I had to work overtime on you. <laughs> you know? and what an amazing thing that's going to be. We've seen angels and maybe entertained them unawares, like it says in the book of Hebrews. But what a moment that will be. But here's another one. We're going to have the personal meeting of the whole church. Just turn over the page to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. And at the start of this chapter, Paul says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, and then he goes on, and he's talking here about our gathering together to him. And that's what it's going to be at the rapture. This is going to be not just the fellowship at Union Chapel, not just all the believers in Bath, not just all the believers in Europe, not just all the believers in the world. It's going to be all the believers who've gone to heaven, the whole church in heaven, reunited with their bodies, plus the living church caught up. This will be the very first time in the whole of history that the whole church will be in one place at one time. Have you ever thought about that? No wonder we're going to have to meet him in the air. There's nowhere on earth it's going to be big enough, is there? You know? What a phenomenal thing that's going to be. And we're going to see it. I tell you what, we won't be a little church then. We won't be saying, well, there weren't many voices in the congregation tonight then. The the swarm of Christians in the air is going to be breathtaking. You know, Isaiah says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. He will see all those he died for and he'll be pleased. 
he'll be pleased. Uh, Hebrews says that he's going to take the words from Isaiah the prophet where he spoke about his family and it's going to apply it to his church. He say to his father, here am I and the children you've given me. What a wonderful thing that's going to be. The whole church of Jesus Christ and then he's going to lead us back to heaven. You know, I can't, I've thought about this. I wonder what that's been. Will that cast a shadow over the earth? Think of an object that big in the earth's atmosphere. That's going to be phenomenal, isn't it? Will the people on the space station see us? It's, it's, I don't know, but it's going to be astounding when it happens. And to see that many believers being taken by the Lord personally back to heaven. I sort of imagine it being like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt with Moses at the head leading them. You know, when they came out, it says in the book of Exodus, they came out in their armies. It was like armies coming out. You see the parade day with the armies all parading. You think, where do they all keep coming from? Actually, I did hear, I did know one guy who was in the military in, in, when I was in Reading. And he said when they were doing one uh, uh, display, he said they didn't have enough tanks. So they were driving around the building, <laughs> coming around, around in front of the same people again and again. But, uh, you know, in, in this form, this is going to be the whole church, like the exodus out of this world to the next. What an amazing sight that is going to be. And uh, at the head of it will be the Lord Jesus Christ leading his people to the promised land. Amazing. You know, it reminds us, doesn't it, that the church is not the building, the church is the people. When William Tyndale was translating his New Testament, he deliberately didn't use the word church to translate the Greek word ecclesia. He used the word congregation. I will build my congregation and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because he wanted people to know it's the people. It's the people. And on that day, we will see all our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, they say psychologically, when you're in a group that is a big group and you all are for the same thing, whether it's a football crowd, all coming away from a match you've won or you're going to something you want, they say the psychology of that is huge. You feel invincible. You feel uplifted by the fact that you're all the same place. Can you imagine what it's like when we're all there singing, Thine be the glory, as we go back to heaven? What a moment that's going to be, eh? It's going to be breathtaking. And uh, I'm looking forward to that great personal meeting of all my brothers and sisters. So let's see the final thing here, the pure mercy. And this is something I really want us to take to heart. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse 10. And uh, as I said this morning, every chapter in Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming. And Paul, describing this church, says how they turned to him, the Lord, from idols to serve the living and true God. And in verse 10 he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, different Christians in Bible prophecy understand the wrath to come as different points 
regarding the tribulation. I don't want to argue that point tonight other than to say I'm a pre-trib rapture believer and I believe the Lord comes and takes us before the whole seven years. Others believe it's uh, from the worst part of the seven years. But either way, we believe and agree that Christ rescues us from the wrath, the judgment of God, which is to come. And this is where the rapture is pure mercy because we are being saved from the judgment of God which will fall on this earth. You know, there was that awful incident. Thank God nobody got hurt with that plane with the side blew off in the air. Uh, Alaska Airlines and the, the panel on the side of the plane blew off because of a fault on that Boeing. I think it was 737, wasn't it? Uh, Well, Ray Comfort tells a story where that had happened before. And I've got a photograph at home in one of my files of a plane where that's happened before. And the man who had been sitting by the window where the panel had come off had just moved seats. And then suddenly, the side of the plane's gone and everything that was there was sucked out. The seats, the trays, everything gone. And the moment of realization, five seconds ago, that would have been me. I can't help wondering what stories we'll hear about that Alaskan Airlines flight, whether or not anybody did move seats from where that panel was beforehand. But what a realization. Whoa, what I have been just saved from. What mercy. And you know what? When the Lord Jesus comes and takes us to heaven, he's going to rescue us from the judgment on earth to come. And that will be a great deliverance. And it will be, it's not the same as the deliverance from hell, which is an eternal deliverance. But when you read the book of Revelation, you read the wrath of God poured out on the wickedness of men in all its awfulness there in the book of Revelation. You will really say, praise you, Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. And that is part of the pure mercy. And that brings me really to, The the final thing I really want to say here this evening. You know, I mentioned this morning uh, the man who had a sign up in his office, MRD Hand, which said, perhaps today. Well, what if it had been yesterday? If it had been yesterday, would you have been ready? Would you be taken to be with the Lord in the air? Would you be saved from the judgment to come? Or would you still be here? You know, that's a realization that ought to make us urgent to become Christians if we're not yet saved, if we're not yet the Lord's. You know, I honestly mean this. Every time we preach the gospel, it could be the last opportunity earth is given before the Lord comes. This may be the last boat out of here. Do you want to get on now? Now's your moment. Ask the Lord, be my saviour, forgive me, come into my life. I trust in Christ who died on the cross for me and look for his coming like the Thessalonians did. George Whitfield said, I am daily waiting for the coming of the Son of God. And may that be the testimony of God's children at Union Chapel. Amen.